Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome one and all to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios, and we've got a great show here for you this week, discussing the game you know and love just days away from the start of the Australian Open. Up first, I chat with Mark Knowles, the former world number one in doubles, a mainstay on the Tennis Channel airwaves, and one of the most knowledgeable people in all of tennis. We break down all the weed-up action to the Australian Open, Rafael Nadal's injury, what that means, that there will be no Rafa at the Australian Open. If there's any worry with Novak Djokovic's wrist, as he looks to win yet another title down under, Igas Piantec at the top of the women's game, Grigor Dimitrov and Andre Rublev get titles, what to expect from the Americans. We have a lot to break down with Mark Knowles. And then it's Coco Vandeweghe for an in-person sit-down where we cover a lot of ground. Vandeweghe recently retired last fall. She discusses her decision to call her career quits, being honored at the U.S. Open, playing doubles in her final event in San Diego with Danielle Collins, striking up a friendship there. Her pride in her country, playing for Team USA in the Fed Cup, now Billie Jean King Cup, and what that meant to her. And her transition to commentary and how she's become a natural on the mic and is not afraid to share her thoughts, gaining some new skills. We talk about her getting back into skiing after time apart. Some sage advice from Bill Walton. There's a lot discussed with Coco Vandeweghe. Two outstanding guests on this week's show, former tennis players, commentators, Olympians. They love golfing. A lot in common, a lot to discuss with Mark Knowles and Coco Vandeweghe on Tennis Channel Inside In. Let's start the show. All right, now joining us on Tennis Channel Inside and First appearance of the new year. Uh, I can see he's rocking the Georgia Tech gear as a proud father. But Mark Knowles in the studio to discuss all the lead-up events to the Australian Open. Mark, welcome back to the podcast. It is quite the time to be a tennis fan or a sports fan in general. Yeah, it's always exciting, right? The new year, uh, a lot on the horizon, uh, especially in the game of tennis. Uh, men's side, women's side, you know, obviously we're... Super excited to have Rafa back. Unfortunate news, obviously, for him to get hurt, but there's still tons of storylines on the men's side. Will Novak continue to dominate? Hmm. That's that's the question we always ask. Uh, or will there be a new challenger? And then on the women's side, obviously, lots of great storylines. Yeah, I guess we should get up with the somber news first. No Rafa at the Australian Open. We were all excited for the comeback. He looked great in the first two matches. He plays Jordan Thompson, loses, has match points. Was getting checked out. Says after the fact that he had a micro tear on the muscle in that surgically repaired hip. Pulls out of the Australian Open. Says he's going back to Spain for treatment for rest. It's gutting for a lot of reasons. He just said point blank, Mark, that he's not ready for best of five tennis. You have to ask, though, will he be and what's that going to look like? What was your reaction to not just the injury on court, but the decision of him to skip this Aussie summer? Yeah, honestly, I was completely bummed. Um, you know, I think we all missed Rafa when he was away. Obviously, one of the all-time greats. Uh, such a unique style, such a great person, right, on and off the court. Um, and I think the reason I was really bummed was I was a little bit surprised at how well he was playing. Mm. You know, Rafa's normally one of those players, as great as he is, he needs a couple of matches, needs to play his way in. Um, but it shows that he put in the work in the off season. Uh felt like his body was healthy. But, you know, having been a player and, and knowing the rigors of the sport, you just can't duplicate, you know, tension matches. Mm. And, um, you know, that's going to be the tough one for Rafa, right? Is kind of towing that line, navigating um, how many matches does he need and, you know, how often can he play? Especially when you think about, obviously, his specialty being the clay. A little bit more rigorous. Of course, he's adept, uh, about as adept on that mm. surface as anybody in the history of the game. Um, but still, it's demanding physically, uh, especially at the French where it's three out of five sets. So, you know, we can only hope for the best. I mean, the good news about Rafa, he's incredibly resilient. Unfortunately, yep. he's had to deal with just, you know, an outlandish number of injuries throughout his career. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think also the other thing it highlights, you know, I, I was talking to a buddy yesterday, I was actually talking to Marty Fish um, and, you know, Novak Djokovic, right? <laughs> I mean, that's how, you know, 
when you see Rafa get hurt, right, that's normal at his age. Yeah. You know, and, and Novak's continuing to defy everything health-wise on the court. And uh, you just sit back and marvel, really. Yeah. It, it was jarring for Nadal for a couple reasons. One, you said he put so much work in. He, he has done this before where he's taken time off, he's been injured, comes back, and then he looks like the guy. For him not to look like it, for him to look... As, you know, as you said, an expected thing of old age and wear and tear was jarring to see. I was thinking about this too, Mark. Like, he deserves a proper send-off as much as anyone, but that's not how sports work. Like, it's very rare that we get those fairy tale endings. What's more likely, in a lot of cases, is this. An aging guy who's doing all he can, putting the hours in, but life's not fair and sports aren't fair. Yeah, it's really tough, right? Everybody wanna, wants to write their ending. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we've seen all yeah. the all-time greats throughout all the sports have different types of endings. Um, you know, and tennis, Pistol Pete mm -hmm. obviously wrote the great story. Um, you know, but the problem is if you win your last one, you think, yeah. wait, are there more, right? So and he was kinda, 30, right? Yeah. I mean, that's we're talking about 37-year-olds. Guy, guys um, yeah. You know, we saw it today. One, you know, one of the legendary coaches mm -hmm. in all of sport, Nick Saban possibly <laughs> retiring. You know, he would have preferred to win a national championship, I'm sure, on the way yeah. out. But as you said, you can't write your script. You can try your best. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, but one thing you know about Rafa, he does it the right way, right? He's, right. he's not going to play unless he feels he's fit and ready. Um, you know, one of the greatest professionals as, as far as the way he attacks his approach. Mm -hmm. um, you know, let's hope. I mean, I think we're all cheering for Rafa, yeah. right? I mean, in a perfect world, if we could mm -hmm. if we could write the scenario for him, it would be... You know, obviously win Roland Garros and maybe, you know, go off and spend time with your family. Yeah. Um, but it's hard because he, he's like a lot of great champs. He loves the sport, right? And it's hard. Um, it's hard to say goodbye. Paris Olympics too, right? We don't know what the next step's going to be when he's going to play again. We hope that he can just, you know, have fun and, and enjoy it and compete at a high level. But we're just going to have to wait and see. It's going to be the first Aussie Open since 99 without Federer at all in the draw. Crazy. It's just that's Crazy. a quarter century, and uh, it signifies the the changing of the eras. Djokovic is still around, though, still at a high level, and it is a familiar scene, right, too. I talked about it last week on this show with Jason Goodall. He's coming in a little banged up. There is the wrist situation. He's not going to minimize what that situation is, but he does have to manage where we are in this schedule and where he is in the tournament. But as I said last week, there's nobody better at managing their body and knowing what you have to do week in, week out, match in, match out. So I expect more of the same. I would say, Mark, my prediction going forward before that we get the official draw is that Novak will raise his level each match. So don't expect best Novak Djokovic in match one. That's saved for finals. You know, it, it starts <laughs> with the question, is he banged up? Oh, right? there, yeah. There, there's always that question mark. That's true. And, and he is obviously... You know, one of the all-time greats in any sport, one of the all-time great athletes. I mean, you know, it's it's coming to the point where it's automatic, right? Like, I mean, at some point, it has to stop, but maybe not, right? Because he's he's surely denying it. But, you know, I think Novak is so measured in his approach. I think it helps him to have a little something. I mean, we've seen a couple majors um, the last couple of years in Australia. He's had some issues, right, between the stomach, mm -hmm. I think the hammy, now the wrist, um, but he's as good as anyone. I mean, he's a guy that donate. I mean, we were, we were talking about this yesterday once again. I mean, everything he does in his life is geared towards being 100% fit mentally and physically when he takes to the court. Yeah. So just, just think about that, right? We, we've seen some great athletes in other sports, but I think Novak has taken it maybe to an extremist level. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he deserves everything he gets because he's putting in the work <laughs> on and off every single thing he make he does is for has a purpose and so one thing you know about Novak um, let's hope that he's 100% healthy but the good news is he responds better than most um, yeah. he handles adversity better than most um, if he's got a goal in mind um, if he feels that there's something working against him it empowers him even more so I'm no fool. I'm not betting against Novak. <laughs> There's never been a slippage. Like, you win, you think complacency enters their brain. It's human nature, even with his age. But no, he works just as hard, starts the process over. And also, if he wins this Australian Open, we know Rafa Nadal's French Open tally of 14. But that would be 11 for this single tournament. So it would be in the same neighborhood, not at the same level. But 
it's just startling stuff. So we'll see what happens with Novak. I did want to get to some of the other stuff to give props to what we've seen in the lead up. And Mark, it starts with a blast from the past playing his best tennis in at least seven years. Grigor Dimitrov wins a title. He wins in Brisbane, first title since the ATP finals in 2017. And who he beat and how he beat him, he beats Holger Runa in a classic match, a high-level match. And Grigor, it, it's something to see him play at this level because he's answering a lot of questions that people have had about him. And again, proving that in your 30s, you can play some of your best tennis. Yeah, hard to be happier for a player than Grigor, right? He's a guy that does it the right way. He works as hard as anybody. He's always been one of the fittest players. Um, tremendous guy off the court. He's never changed, whether he's top 10 whether he's winning ATP Tour Finals, when he's, whether he's going through a drought, as he yeah. just did. He's the same guy day in, day out. So I think we all marvel at his game. We know the talent that he possesses, the, the athletic ability. I mean, that guy hmm. you know, put him on a short list. <laughs> Very short. one of the best athletes um, to, to, to go out on a tennis court. So to see him playing that way, you know, who knows? He's probably got a renewed purpose, right? Maybe some pressure's been alleviated. Um, we all, we've always known he's had the game, right? Mm -hmm. But I think it also speaks volumes when you see the drought. I, it was even hard for me. I was like, <laughs> really? Yeah. It's been that long? Yeah. Like, he's way too good. But what it speaks volumes for is that's how hard it is to win on tour. It is. Right? That, that's how hard it is to win on tour. So um, let's not lose sight of that. Uh, the good news is he's playing great tennis. And he's a player that would obviously have the belief, even though he's never... Yeah you know, lifted a trophy at a major. He's been deep in majors before, and he's somebody that would yeah. say, hey, well, why not me? So super exciting to see. He was building towards this moment, played great down the stretch last year, and the one thing with majors, I know he's never done it, but you do not have to question fitness with him. This is no. one of the fittest guys. No. So that's a question you ask about a lot of players, but not him. Uh, quickly on Holger, no one ever wants to lose, especially in a final. But these are the these are the lessons to learn that I think aren't bad. Like, he played a good match, could have been a little better, was right there. We're starting the season. And, again, no fitness issues for him. So, Holger, it's much of the same. We know what the potential is, but you can't win every match. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> week, right? I mean, we always talk about what's the ideal prep heading into the year's first major. You know, getting the finals, yeah. getting a couple matches under your belt, that's the perfect prep, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, he would have liked to have won that final. But as you said, no shame in the way he played, no shame in the way he competed. Uh, key thing for him, obviously, yeah. is experience, right? He's got more experience now under his belt. He's kind of a he's kind of a big energy guy, right? So you got to <laughs> yeah. manage that in three out of five in majors. Um, probably something that he's learning. Obviously, great additions in his camp. We got the legendary Boris Becker. Also got Severin Luthi in there as well. So he's got he's got the group around him that can really help him navigate. Uh, you know, kind of. There's more to playing tennis at yeah. a major, right? It, yeah. It's how to deal with the off court. It's how to train. It's how to recover. Right. And he's got the team around him. So it, it could be a special year for him. You know, it's going to be fascinating to see the different approaches and how it pans out success-wise. The players that played these tournaments. We saw Andre Rublev win in Hong Kong. United Cup, which is a little different than players like Sinner, Alcaraz, and Medvedev who have not or will not be playing before Aussies. So... I don't know if you have a preference or it is and it is a case-by-case -case basis, but I'm just going to be following and seeing if there is a trend, like which players did a little better. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, in being around the tennis world for a number of years, I think the ideal prep, right, is to play two weeks before the Aussie yeah. and hopefully win, get to the final, get that week <laughs> off, get to, you know, maybe take two days off mm -hmm. after, the, after the final, get to Melbourne, get a couple of practices in on the show yeah. courts, if you're maybe a little lower rank, hit with some of the top guys, that's probably the ideal preparation, right? You don't want to be playing necessarily all the way up until Saturday, but mm -hmm. hey, <laughs> I mean, also it gives you confidence, so you never know. Yeah, that extra day, too, is going to be fascinating. And for yeah. Rublev, I just wanted to mention, I mean, I watched that match against Rusevori. It was pretty exciting. There's just nobody like him. It's like he's, he's, like, a, he's like a boxer that stands firm and isn't going to give an inch. Like, he just stands and crushes ground strokes. He's never going to back up. He doesn't really come to the net that much, but when he's firing, especially forehands on the baseline, it's a marvel to see. You know, he's fascinating because he's kind of an enigma, right? Because <laughs> the way he plays, you yeah. think boxer, ferocity, yeah. Tyson, yeah. like get in the ring and we're going to swing. Yeah. And then you look at his approach off the court. Yeah. Couldn't be nicer, couldn't be more thoughtful. Right, so it, it's <laughs> a tale of two worlds. So how can you not cheer for a Rublev? Tale of two Rublevs, I like it. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. 
Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Uh, more with Mark Knowles here on Tennis Channel Inside In. I have to bring up the United Cup because that final was high drama. Germany yeah. over Poland. Uh, Alexander Zverev down the stretch. Saves match points in the singles. Must win against Hubie Hercosh. Then they win that epic uh, mixed doubles match, him and Laura Siegemann against Iga and Hercotch. So for Zverev, it's digging deep. For this event, it was high drama at the end. You had the world's best women's player and Iga Sviantek look flawless too. So this was a job well done and props to Zverev and Team Germany. Yeah, United Cup, you know, it's always interesting, right? You always hear the players talk about team competitions so special. And yeah. I think the United Cup did a great job because it was very competitive as well. And, uh, you know, Sasha Zverev, he's one of those guys. He's been the forgotten man, right, mm. since he got injured at the French. But he's starting to round back in form. And you know he's got a good record, mm -hmm. uh, reasonably good record compared to anyone else against <laughs> Novak. Yeah. Um, so he's a guy you got to keep an eye on. Um, and on the women's side, like you said, Iga just continuing to look great, right? And she's only getting better week by week. And yeah. she's somebody that's kind of embraced being the number one player in the world mm -hmm. and just kind of really having tunnel right. vision on her game, not getting too much too caught up in the rankings, the results, and you right. know, realizing that the better she plays, the more matches she's going to win. I don't know how I feel about MVP, though, on a losing team. Like, that was a little, you know, it's like the Jerry West finals yeah, for the Lakers, that can't Cowboys. Happen. Yeah, just yeah, don't. No. But, but again, like, all things. You know, the outstanding player. Yeah, and, and she was. But MVP, I just I don't know. But look, you're exactly right. She is the favorite to win the Australian by a considerable margin, and it speaks to one thing. Her consistency on a match-by-match -match level can't be matched. Now, we're going to get to the other finals and players that are in the mix, but... No one is, has her consistency, and that's what you need to win seven matches in a row. And that speaks to who Iga is and how she approaches tennis on a day-to-day -day basis. Having said that, you know, Rabakina over Sabalenka is the one I want to get to because I said last week, like, Rabakina was the forgotten woman of the, of the big three, big four there. Yeah. You know, she didn't have the year she would have liked, still was number four. You know, still had a couple big titles. And that went over Sabalenka, and I know Sabalenka can go up and down, but that was mightily impressive by someone that just has that low pulse, keeps in the match, and Elena Rabakina, I think, will have a big 2024. Well, there's no doubt that Rabakina has the game, and more importantly, when you think about matching up against Iga, she's got the firepower, right? So the key component, as we've talked about, is consistency. So if, if she can get, and that's not just on the mm -hmm. court, that's more mentally, mm -hmm. right? To be number one in the world, to be consistent week in, week out, that's a completely different mental yeah. approach. So that would be my only question for Rabakina as far as game. Mm -hmm. This could be the year, right? This could be the year if she starts off well and realizes, you know what? I I'm going to take over that mantle because I've got the weapons. I've got the ability. Yeah. Um, you know, the tough question is always the mental side of it. And that, that's where Iga kind of <laughs> has a leg up on everyone else. For sure. Big wins, though, over. And I know I don't want to read too much into the first tournament, rounding into form and all that, but... She can say what very few of anybody else can say. I've got big wins over Sabalenka and Iga, and that's yeah. <laughs> mightily impressive. Yeah. I also have to be impressed. I know it wasn't as stark in competition match to match, but Coco Goff defending her title you know, in Auckland, beating Svitolina in the final, it was a very mature performance. There's a higher level to go. We want to see how she matches up against Iga this year, which has been a problem for her and many others. But very professional approach, did what she had to do, and hoist the trophy yet again. 100%. I, I think that this is going to be another banner year for Coco Goff. Now that she's got the Grand Slam title, I think I think the most important component for me is, you know, you think about when she brought Brad Gilbert on mid-year, how, how good her results have been. We know Brad is, you know, a fantastic <laughs> tactician. So I have a feeling what they did in the offseason yeah. was they probably sat down and said, all right, let's look at our game. Let's look at Iga's game. Yeah. Let's look at Zabalenka's game. Let's look at Rabakina's game. Let's look at Pagula's game. Yeah. What do we need to do? What do we need to get better? What do we need to minimize weakness-wise? And then let's go out and attack. So that's what I'm going to be curious because I feel that this was probably a different offseason for Coco Golf, where you know you got people like Brad in their ear talking slightly different rather than just working on your game. Let's work on how your game 
can really impress upon your rivals. And, and that's, that's the big key. And that's what I'm curious to see. She looks fitter too, doesn't she? Like, I feel well, like she put the scary. work in, right? She, that's scary because <laughs> I I, I'm not I sure there's anyone that moves better than Coco Golf. I've just, it's the Lindsay Davenport through Andy Roddick, that I test comment. Like, yeah. it looks like she put the work in and yeah. it's scary. I wanted to, you know, before we wrap this up, talk about some players on both tours that have made some pushes and are, are approaching the rankings. Two more top teners to talk about. On the women's side, Shalane Ostapenko. There's nothing like watching a Elaine Ostapenko, or in your case, calling a Elaine Ostapenko yeah. <laughs> match. But back in the top 10, and much like Grigor Dimitrov, best tennis in about six or seven years. So it has been an adventure, but she steadily rose up the rankings now in the top 10. Yeah, good time to talk about it. I'm actually going to call her <laughs> match later today against Marta Kostyuk. So there's going to be some fireworks in that one. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, one thing, once again, it's the same thing, right? Ostapenko is a Grand Slam champion. She knows what it mm -hmm. takes. So... Now, as she gets more consistency, as she realizes how to use her game a little bit better, she's another player. She's got weapons. She's got firepower. Yeah. So she is one to watch because you know that she has the mindset, and she's the one that I have the belief mm -hmm. later in tournaments against some of these big players. Yeah, you might have to put a helmet on, too. I know Vika <laughs> said that helmet when you play her, and it, it, you have to have that renewed focus because she's yeah. not going to give you anything, and there's going to be drama. Uh, for the male side, Alex Niemenauer, top 10, first Aussie. Uh, since I believe Leighton Hewitt to get to that top 10 ranking. So props to him. He is somebody that has been working and been stuck right at that cusp for so long. So it's good to see it, the win over Novak. But what do you think has kind of pushed him and given him that final nudge in the top 10 land? Well, I think Alex Demonor is phenomenal. You know, since we first saw him, you know, burst on the scene, <laughs> obviously you felt like Leighton Hewitt 2.0, right? Yeah. Quick, feisty, gives it everything he has. Um one thing you know about Alex, he works extremely hard, right? He, he's going to give 110%. Big result for him, right? He, he even talked about it, been working a really long time. And as you know, for most players, that's a huge goal to mm -hmm. get top 10. So, you know, that's good. When you get that validation, sometimes it can free you up. And I, I think for Alex, you know, going into Australia, that'll really give him a big boost. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we were talking about speed with Coco Golf. <laughs> he's on the short list for me on the men's side. That guy's first yeah. step. And his quickness is <laughs> insane. So you got to be ready to play when you play that Aussie. Demon is a very appropriate nickname for him yeah. for how he plays and what it's like to probably face him. Uh, last notes on kind of the lead up tournaments and whatnot. The Americans that we're seeing, I think Corda's up. I don't think that match is final. I'm going to take a twinkling gander. It's still going on with uh, O'Connell. Uh, you have Ben Shelton winning last night after dropping his opening match last week in the tournament, and then Tommy Paul winning. So these are three of the premier Americans along with Taylor Fritz. But what's something to expect and something that these Americans can show you to propel them for success in Australia? Yeah, I think, you know, fascinating times, right, for the U.S. men. Um, obviously, a couple of breakthroughs last year started with Shelton. Quarterfinals of the Australian backed it up at the U.S. Open. Um you know, it's tough to go far from Ben Shelton. I mean, the, the weapon that he has on serve, you know, it just doesn't come around every day. Um, yeah. That's pretty special. Yeah. Um, you know, chance for him to take this offseason and try to reflect and see what he needs to get better at. Um, I predict, you know, it, it's not easy to back up those type of results, but I think he's going to have a monster year. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, there's serious talk of, you know, whether he can make the top 10, which would be pretty incredible mm. if you think – I mean, already his rise is, is quite meteoric. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, guys like Tommy Paul, obviously another hard worker, right? He's <laughs> totally transformed his career. Yeah. A guy in the offseason that's putting in the yards. Um, doesn't quite have the weaponry that Shelton does, but once yeah. again, one of the better movers on tour. Yeah. No weaknesses. Um, you know, another year under his belt, so he's got a really good shot. Um, you know, I think it'll be an interesting mm -hmm. year for Francis as well because yeah. his expectations will have changed coming into this year. Right, he's been knocking on the door, getting late in majors. I'm sure he's shifting his goals to like, I want more. Yeah. Um, and with that comes a little bit of pressure. Um, Taylor Fritz, of course, <laughs> always got the big weapons. Um, you know, I mean, we <laughs> talk about it every year. Is this the year that an American man breaks through and, and lifts a Grand Slam trophy? And yeah, I don't think I would be stunned. I mean, there, there's there's a lot of good options there. Now, with those five, you know, Eubanks even as a six there, there's a lot of options. And, and I, I forgot to even mention yeah. Sebi Corda, yeah. right, who well, in the offseason, five weeks at IMG, trained really hard with Jez Green. Mm. Jez said he's 20% stronger. Mm. Um, you know, so these are the strides that players have to make from a young yeah. age, and these guys are doing it. If Corda stays healthy, 
last year in Australia, it was fine until that last match against Hatchinoff where he had the wrist issues. But he's someone in that win over Sonego last night showed a lot of grit that he was able to fend off set points. And, you know, you were on the call for that one. Shelton is fascinating, too, because he's getting better. It's like the AI computer robot that's getting better. But you watch somebody playing against him on their serve, and they feel the pressure. It's like, oh, 1530. I can't get broke here. If I get broke here, it's going to be lights out on the other end. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I was calling the match yesterday with Jan Michael Gamble, and he actually had a very interesting uh, comment because he's like, I get the feeling that Shelton is a little bit like Pistol Pete, Pete Sampras, right? You feel that type of pressure that... You know you're never going to break him. <laughs> yeah. Um, Pete would wait till four all, six five, three all, <laughs> yeah. five all, thirty all to yeah. play his best tennis. Yeah. Yeah. He had the ability to turn it on, and and before you knew it, you were shaking hands. You lost, right? And you, you didn't know really how it happened. And um, you know, I think Shelton has that type of ability because he can he can play a couple of games where he's maybe a little inconsistent, and then all of a sudden yeah. he can play really solid games and. You know, the thing especially that you love about Shelton is he's a big game player, mm. right? You, you can't teach that, right? And I, I obviously, you know, you know about his father was a really good player on tour, um, played college tennis at Florida, used to the pressure atmosphere, but man, he loves the spotlight. And that's, that's a good thing. When you get to the quarters, semis, finals, and majors, those are big moments. Very valuable. Uh, it's going to be a fun, fun time for American men's tennis in 2024. Wrapping up with Mark Knowles here on Tennis Channel Inside In. A couple of quick hitters. One being, props to another member of the Tennis Channel family, Taylor Townsend, proving that you always got to be ready to play, right? You never know when your number could be called. We're in that pool, so props to her. I wanted to ask you, though, Mark, as someone that's been in these meeting rooms and been in the discussions, the decision by the ATP and WTA together to kind of put the kibosh on these super long late night matches. Seems like it's a step in the right direction. And it's kind of a good sign that the two tours are, dare I say, working together here. Yeah, definitely. As you know, I'm a player board rep on the ATP side. So, you know, there's been a lot of collaboration with the WTA. And, you know, listen, first and foremost, we want to protect the players. And, and you know, sometimes it's an outlier. Obviously, a couple of matches go really long. We had it again last year in, in Paris at the Masters. A couple, you know, went till two in the morning and, so, we, you know, we got to protect the players, right? Mm -hmm. we, we understand the entertainment side from the tournament side as far as, you know, delivering to their fans, but we also got to make sure that players have an ability uh, to rest and recuperate and recover. Um, you know, we had an unfortunate situation last year where, you know, Sinner had to make the decision to withdraw based on a late finish, and, you know, it's one of the top players. Yeah. Um, obviously, heading into the World Tour Finals, he needed to be healthy. Um, so they're the right measures, and, and I think that I think it'll go a long way. I mean, I'm sure you still have... You know, you, that's the tough thing about tennis. A match could go an hour. It could go <laughs> yeah. even a two out of three set match these days. These guys are so good, so athletic. Matches can go three hours, 40 minutes, you know, and, and that can kind of throw scheduling off. But with some of these parameters in place, we, we should limit the late finishes. Right, and it's a great step in the right direction. There is no guarantee. Um, I think it's going to do wonders for the sport. But, again, there's things that could happen. Unless we, you know, the, one of the last times you were on the show about the no-ad scoring, maybe after Still three Still waiting deuces, for somebody to adopt it. We'll get Chiz on, we'll on second serve to talk about it. Uh, Mark Knowles, this has been a blast. Got to say again, congrats. I know you dropped Graham Knowles, your uh, son, off yeah. at Georgia Tech. Yeah. I asked Eubanks about it last year, and he said, no, I had nothing to do with it, but I don't know if I believe <laughs> him. But it has to be exciting. You got the GT uh, you know, shirt on right now, but the start of the college experience had uh, a program on the rise. So, again, congrats, and it uh, has to be a good time for the family. Thanks. Yeah, man, super excited, and you know, I'm glad it coincided with, with – Chris Eubanks playing such great tennis, such a great ambassador, not only for the sport, but also for Georgia Tech. So I'm kind of in that <laughs> tech family now. Yeah, <laughs> it's exciting stuff. And I know the early enrollment means we've got spring ball coming up and yeah. an exciting time. But Mark Knowles, pleasure as always. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, good luck calling these matches. There's going to be some firecrackers for sure. But thanks for coming on Tennis Channel Inside In. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks for having me, buddy. Huge thanks to Mark Knowles. Always a pleasure. He's very generous with his time and I always learn something when we talk tennis. So thanks to Mark Knowles. You can find him on the Tennis Channel Airwaves covering all the big events leading up to the start of the Australian Open. 
Now it's time to talk to the one and only Coco Vandeweghe. She took the tour by storm during her 15-year pro career, reaching the top 10, winning the doubles U.S. Open title in 2018 with Ash Barty. Coco Vandeweghe, full of emotion, full of passion, represented the country for Team USA at the Billie Jean King Cup and the Olympics, as well as anyone. She sat down in the Inside In studios to discuss a lot of things, winding down her pro career, transitioning to commentary, why she's not shy to say what she wants to say, and why she feels like it's important to ask players pointed and informative questions and uh, some hobbies as well as she dives into her life off the court. Coco's got some thoughts on the state of the WTA that you're not going to want to miss either. Let's hear from Coco Vandeweghe now on Tennis Channel Inside In. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network 2024 Mitch Michaels here hosting the show in the Santa Monica studios, joined now by a returning guest. It's been a few years. I had to check my memory bank, but uh, <laughs> she recently completed a 15-year career, was a Grand Slam doubles champion, two major semifinals, uh, top 10 ranking. Back on the show now is a TC family member, and I see that with the pin on her shirt, but it's Coco Vandeweghe. Coco, welcome back to the show. Yes, the TC family makes sure that the pin is there and present. Um, I have to remember to bring it each and every day, so that's probably the hardest hardest yeah. part of the job. It's like a blood oath, I think. If you don't bring the pin, it's bad things can happen, but I'm, uh, I'm really uh, pumped to talk to you. And the number one thing being, you know, the last time we talked, you know, was the podcast in the car, if you remember that one. So you were driving. We got a lot of positive feedback on that one. Uh, from a lot of people. I did pull yeah. over and, and I was safe about it. Okay, yeah. everyone. <laughs> yeah, Chrissy Everett loved that, by the way. She was like, I can't believe she's doing this driving. It's awesome. Uh, but I, I bring that up too, because that was one of the, and I'm not just, you know, you don't need to be gassed up now on the retirement tour, but <laughs> it was one of the better podcasts that I can remember doing. And I think that was because you were so unique in your answers. And we talked about that during it. Like everybody has like their set prep and they do things and you ask questions and you kind of know what to expect. But Five minutes in, I was like, okay, this is going different. <laughs> it speaks to just how you were a unique force on tour for so long. And as you said, different than most of your contemporaries. No, I, I definitely thought about all what I wanted to say to people, especially when I started to have more success on tour and how I remember watching players be interviewed and, and wanting to find insight into their games, into what it was like to be a professional. And what they would say was just kind of blase. It didn't really yeah, actually yeah. tell you anything that you would have to deal with or what you actually felt. So I tried to be as authentic as I could. And I mean, that's, that's all I know how to be. And I think it, it hopefully is, is helpful to a lot of younger players or, or even parents that want to have mm -hmm. their kids go the professional route. Yeah. I mean, we both love tennis. You dedicated your life to it, but it is a fair critique that sometimes it is a little blase at times. And it's good to hear people you know, speak up, speak differently and just share their opinion. There is the the pushback though that happens. And I know you've dealt with it a little bit. We're seeing it, but did you ever have any hesitation at any time in your career, even now as you're a commentator with saying things that might ruffle some feathers? No, I, I don't. I, just because I think in the way I, I go about speaking about myself is, is one way. And that's, that's all I had to do as a player. Now, as a, as a, analysts, you have to speak about other people. And I've always thought in the mind frame of listening back to my matches and hearing the greats commentate my matches, especially when the first couple times I was on Arthur Ashe Stadium and having the biggest moments of my life and how negative they were on my game. And I always thought to myself, well, what if this is the only time I'm ever on a big stadium like this or a big moment like this? And all I have to hear is, you know, she's not as good as, as the <laughs> opponent she's playing. I, I definitely had my fair share of tough opponents out there playing Serena, yeah. playing Yelena Yankovic, but I always like to give the opportunity for every player. They work their butts off. I know yeah. that myself that, you know, they're they're a good player in their own right. They might not be up to the same caliber as, you know, uh, Serena Williams, but they're their own caliber player. They have spent hours. They have dedicated. They have sacrificed. Yeah. They don't have a normal life that everyone else is so accustomed to. Right. So I try to be as nice and as genuine as I, as I can, but also give feedback if, you know, I ever hear about it because sure, I would have loved to have had, you know, a, a Chris Everett or Martina mm -hmm. Navratilova tell me something about my game that right. maybe I could listen back 
on right. and and give yeah. you know oh okay this is a good critique I can go work on it this is something yeah. that a great player who has won many championships tell me you know oh okay her forehand's a little weak or and she doesn't hit it that well and and mm. this is how I would implement working on that you know the tennis side of it too is part of that I want to say issue but if you're a top 40 basketball player everybody knows who you are <laughs> and it's not just the money side of it but you're in the mainframe and you know, words get thrown around like journeyman or, or stuff like that that doesn't tell the whole story. But I did th- I did find it interesting with your career, too, the last time we talked. You mentioned winding it down, wanting to get a final push. What led you to the decision to call it quits, the U.S. Open honor, honoring you, which we'll get to in a second, and then playing doubles with D.C. and San Diego? What led you to make that decision? Well, I was, I was able to give it one little push, and I was able to get a WTA title out of it, um, a 125. And, you know, that, that's a big accomplishment from where I was from my first injury being top 10 massively, just destroyed my foot, lost the ability to walk. So being able to relearn how to walk, how, how to run, how to then move on a tennis court was its own accomplishment. But then, you know, as, as stupidity goes, I blew off my finger and then I had to restart from there. And it was just, you know, one thing after another. And the unfortunate part about father time is it's undefeated. Mm -hmm. And I really was getting sick and tired of not being able to train the way that I knew I had to, to be back at top 10 or even to be inside top 50, maybe be seated yeah. at Grand Slams, because those are the, the big yeah. moments where you get bigger opportunities, where you're not facing a tough player right away in first, second round. And I that's basically what my decision-making was, that it wasn't fun for me to go out and play these girls that maybe for my own yeah. ego I thought I should beat, I could beat, and knowing that I didn't have the training yeah. ability behind it because I just physically couldn't do it anymore. So that was the main reason I, I decided to call it quits. Yeah, I read that quote you said where you just lost the spark to kind of keep going and have fun in the training block especially. And I would venture to say your background being around so many athletes, you kind of seen it maybe firsthand what it's like when you get to that point in your career where – you know, look, it's not going to last forever. When that spark is gone, it's pretty hard to get back. No, I, I still see it. I mean, <laughs> I, I've been with my mom. It's the holiday yeah. season, and she still complains. She was a two-time Olympian in swimming and in volleyball, and she still complains, oh, I've lost my muscles. I've lost my body. I'm like, <laughs> you know, you, you do have four children, and you yeah. are at an older age. I'm not going to age shamer yeah, here, here. <laughs> because I might hear about it later, but it's, it's constant. You always have that ego about yourself if you're a successful athlete that of what you once were of what you were as a 20 year old as uh, at your peak and and what you were able to accomplish not only on the court or or in the gym but just kind of the physical attributes mm-hmm. you have and are so successful at yeah, you use the word content to describe your career I thought that was perfect and it's a good way to sum up an athletic career because nobody is perfect like there's always matches that could have been one more to do but Content is I put the work in. I had a 15-year career. There were some highs, some lows, but I gave it my all, and that's the best I could ask for. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I was able to do things that I could were only in my dreams. I, I was able to represent my country, and that was that was the biggest moment in my career. And the only thing I really wanted to do as an athlete before I even picked up tennis was I wanted to be an Olympian, and mm. that's that's was my biggest dream and biggest goal in in my life. And I was able to complete compete in the Rio Olympics and then eventually win Billie Jean King Cup for my country going undefeated for the year and also helping them get into the finals the following year going undefeated as well and it was just unfortunate that that was the start of my foot injury and and I couldn't help them in the finals that year but I I can only ask for you know that I did all the work I I sacrificed as much as I could and and definitely gave everything that I had in this day yeah. and age. I think the first thing on your career, like right up is going to be the patriotism side of it. Is that fair to say? Like playing for Team USA in some capacity? I mean, I would hope yeah. so. I, I think I was very successful at it. And I, I definitely championed a lot of girls to then play on the Billie Jean King yeah. Cup team. Um, and I think it definitely helps knowing that one of the top Americans that were playing at the time, I mean, I was number three American at, at one point And you know, I'm I'm willing to sacrifice, you know, my season, my career to represent my country and and you know, you should too. And I definitely would talk to girls and I still have talked to these girls afterwards to tell them how great it was, how how yeah. big of an opportunity it is and it's the most stressful moments of, of your career, but it's also the most fun. I mean, Ali Risk <laughs> and I still talk about, yeah. you know, winning the first tie against Germany 
in Hawaii and I'm standing on the table, you know, a couple drinks in and I'm just like, <laughs> this is what top 20 looks like. And just, you know, all these stupid things that, that we end up doing and just creating bonds and friendships that, yeah. that just last forever. Tough to get those real home and away moments in, in tennis too. And you know, the camaraderie that comes with that, you know, and the next generation of American girls. I mean, you've seen it like the next wave coming up. We've already saw another Coco win the U S open. There's other players coming up and that's kind of the progression that we see your generation, your era still doing well, but there's another crop of girls coming right behind them. No, oh, it's constant. It's never ending. I mean, there's always someone chasing your tail yeah. out there. And, you know, it's it's great to see these young girls. I, I've been able to spend a bit of time with Caroline Dolahide. She stayed at my, my place a couple times. And seeing her progress, I've played doubles with a couple of the younger girls, Katie McNally, and just trying to get, get a vibe on them and get a beat on them. Because, you know, I always wanted that when I first came out on tour to have so, – someone right. from the older generation come down and be like, okay, you know, this is how things are handled. Uh -huh. This is, you know, who you need to know, who you need yeah. to be nice to, especially. And, and I, I never got that. I yeah. didn't really receive that. I, I, I only had the great opportunity of practicing with Lindsay a couple of times. She, she tried to help me a bit, but I just wasn't quite at her caliber <laughs> quickly enough to, to stay with it. Cause you know, she, she kind of, Went away towards the beginning part of my career, went into retirement and had, you know, a, a very successful family life. Yeah, uh, just one thing, Dolhide's moment was great to see, right? Having that run at Guadalajara last year where you were on site. Um, but yeah, and who knows, it's probably not the end of your uh, run with maybe working with the Billie Jean King Cup. I think you're going to have a nice post-career and you might be kind of on the other side of that, helping well, some of the development. Hopefully I'll get a shot. I know Lindsay's going to yeah. do a great job championing these girls because it was also a big moment for, for her to be able to get the BJK King yeah. Um uh, cup job and as captain and I know it was such a big deal for her and I've known her family for forever my mom um, played beach volleyball with her right. mom and and Winky her dad was always a ref and so our families have definitely been intertwined in, in many ways and I just remember hearing her talk about you know playing for her country and what it meant and her winning the gold medal and how how moment momentous it was yeah. it was great and Hopefully I'll get a shot once, once Lindsay says, okay, I've had enough of dealing, dealing with all these girls and uh, hopefully I'll be able to um, take Team USA in a different way to, to the Billie Jean King Cup. Yeah, there's plenty of uh, time left in your post-career, which is just starting. But I have to ask, the U.S. Open, you, had the, you, know, you retired you know, officially there, played the other tournament, but what was that celebration like being honored there? And I know I've talked to Shelby and I've talked to a colleague, Jan Michael Gamble. They said it was fun, but they won't give me any details. <laughs> <laughs> well, as, as most people know that I, I enjoy a good party, I enjoy a good celebration, yeah. and I, yeah. I really love that um, I had so many friends and family be able to see me in, in two different moments, um, my New York side of my family and friends, and then my California family and friends um, yeah. in San Diego, but it was great. The USTA, I, I'm so thankful that they just allowed this moment for me to happen. I, I It brought me to tears um, watching the the montage that they created and on Arthur Ashe stadium and just watching all these career moments that I had, I, I you know, you forget at some <laughs> point like, Oh wow, I can't believe I did this and, and had these moments, but we, ha we had fun. That's for sure. We, we popped a couple bottles um, and then went to quality Italian and enjoyed ourselves there. Okay. And then I, w and then I went to bed. Okay, I, I did right. not continue the celebration in my, I let my brother, you know, <laughs> Keep going. Now. Yes, yes. Going. I'm, I'm getting old. I'm getting old, everybody. Before I would have gone out and kept going, you know, you would see me in the club life. <laughs> uh, was that, uh, that's perfect. Was that decision to go to San Diego just kind of, you know, the, like you said, the, another opportunity retiring in front of the California friends in a place where it was basically home for you for so long? Oh, absolutely. And it was, it, I'm so lucky that San Diego tournament fell um, at the end of the year and and I was able to have the people that couldn't go to New York and, and watch me play there. Unfortunately, I would have loved to have played singles, but the tournament director had other ideas. So DC stepped up to the to the call and, and um, we played doubles because we were supposed to play at the US Open, but we weren't sure we were going to get in. And, and so we made up for it 
got to the finals and and definitely had a more of a celebration. That one okay. I stayed up for. I okay. did not go to sleep. Okay. Yeah, playing with DC, it seemed like it was a poetic ending. It just kind of felt right. You two, you playing with her as your last match. It was funny because, you know, we weren't that close going into yeah. uh, even US Open or uh, San Diego, but I gave a lot of the American girls a phone call saying, yeah. you know, I, this is going to be my last year and, yeah. you know, I want to just let you guys know. And DC was one of those uh, phone calls and, Honestly, it wasn't even about the tennis. Yeah. We were just having fun getting to know each other. And I was her practice partner for the week. And I was like, DC, I'm retired. You don't have to move me side to side. You know, two cross, one line. I, I, I don't need to do this anymore. I'll just stand in a corner. We'll do two on ones. And But she's she's a trip. And um, we, we had a blast. And just more the sideline commentary. If we were mic'd up, it would have been, you know, for sure cancellation. We were talking yeah. too much crap about our opponents. I don't think we could have aired it. But nope, maybe, nope. maybe somewhere. Uh, more with Coco Vandoy here on Tennis Channel Inside and you know now you've kind of transitioned seamlessly to the broadcast career I know you did some stuff while you were playing but was it always in the back of your mind that a career in commentary could be good because it seems like a natural fit given how outspoken you are well it's weird I mean the end of your career happens and then you very quickly you are bored (laughs) and there's only so much golf I could play and I was thinking to myself you know what what am I going to do afterwards and you know as my career was winding down I, I had the opportunity to tried a couple times it was you know on radio but able to just kind of get my feet wet and see if I even liked it um Mm. because who knows we never get these opportunities um to be able to be on the mic and and have a different kind of thinking pattern you know I'm not watching this tennis match to see how I would play this person I'm watching this tennis match to be able to dissect for maybe how they're constructing a point how they're constructing you know throughout the whole match you know game plan A, game plan B, that sort of thing. Not so much as how I played was the ball's on my racket. This is how I'm going to implement my game style onto you and you better figure it out. So I wanted to see, first of all, if I enjoyed it. Second of all, if I was any good at it and I'm not going to toot my own horn, that's for sure. That's just a recipe for disaster. But I seem to be getting some good feedback and, you know, learning as I go. I I still stumble over my words and everyone here at the Tennis Channel family has been absolutely fantastic to work with and very helpful. And, you know, I've been getting the, the... the definite, definite, you know, tricks of the trade yeah. sometimes, but they're still keeping secrets right. from me. You know, I, I can't, I can't steal all Steve Wiseman's, you know, <laughs> tricks. I, I he, otherwise no. he'd be out of the job. I just kick him out no. of that middle chair. <laughs> yeah, you got to slowly. Yeah, it's got to be a slow burn. But call matches with Chanda. I think Chanda Rubin has gone pretty well. Uh, having your personality showcase, but also there's a constant, you know, push pull with being an expert level, having played it, but also being able to relate it to people that are diehard fans, but don't have that expert knowledge. And it's what really, in my opinion, separates the greats from the good. Well, that's, that's always what I wanted to hear from commentators. Like I was touching on earlier is just, okay, what are these girls doing or guys doing that, you know, makes them so good. Why are their shots coming off the way that they are? And, and I try to, you know, describe that as much as possible because, you know, being a bigger hitter, I definitely have an idea of how I did it and how they move on court, how they definitely move their positions and angles and what their serve patterns are. And I'm very fortunate that I've played against most of these top players and definitely have my own thoughts of, okay, this, this (laughs) pattern, I always remember, you know, like last night, Carolina Pliskova, yeah. she loves that T-serve, and you just have to bank on it. I mean, if you're not just leaning that way, it's it's going to cur- curl away from you. It's too fast to catch up. And, you know, just knowing that I, I yeah. have that knowledge, because I've seen that serve go by <laughs> me plenty of times, yeah. it's, it's just, I think, helpful and and being able to tell parents, okay, you know, if, if you have kids, make them play doubles right. and things like that, because I found that so helpful for my own game and yeah. my own maturity and in, in my tennis. And hopefully, you know, it, it keeps progressing and people still enjoy listening to, to my voice. Yeah, so far, so good. I don't want to toot your own horn too much. But yes. When you went down to Mexico with Steve for that lovely Cancun vacation, which is perfect weather, <laughs> uh, did you enjoy the aspect of getting to interview the top players? Because you're there for the finals, and these are the very best in the game players you know, but being on the other side of those desk interviews, what was that experience like? Uh, it was actually nerve-wracking. I had a really... <laughs> 
I I'd never had that experience before. I mean, talking about yeah. tennis is, is easy for me because yeah. I've I've played it, I've done it, but to have questions that I think are interesting, um, and what I would think people at home find interesting is is two different things. Yeah. Um, but hopefully, I I definitely got some good feedback from the girls, and they loved coming back and talking uh, with Steve and I, and and I just wanted to because I know silly questions that I got asked. I was like, man, I mean, this is like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And it has no bearing on, on actually like how I won the match or, so I try to keep it in that mind frame of like, okay, I'm not, I'm not asking, you know, the, the boring question of like, okay, you know, you're, you're, you're looking good out there. Like, why was it good? Uh, (laughs) And I always, I was like, I always thought those questions were just kind of like, you know, that doesn't help people, especially when English is their second language is to, you know, feed them into like where you, where you want the answer to go. Yeah. And so it definitely, luckily, you know, I got a couple tries at it. Yeah. So I definitely evened out my questions and, and made, made it more fun, made it more personable because so many of those girls have great personalities mm-hmm. and it's just getting it out. And, you know, they're comfortable with me. They've seen me, they see me talk enough, you know, yeah. uh, around the tour that they're, they can go back and forth with a bit of banter if they're comfortable enough. Yeah. It helps that they know you. You're in uh, that sweet spot. I think it was when Opelka was here doing broadcasting, he said, this is like the sweet spot when you're still playing or recently removed, they know you, everybody kind of understands you and their guard goes down. I think we saw that with some of those interviews. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, even for myself, when I was a player, I knew the, the people that I didn't really particularly enjoy um talking to or didn't trust to be able to you know help me if i if i stumbled around um because when you're playing tennis it's it's so so focused on you know the the high level of intensity that you have and sometimes to take that down and tone it down is really hard especially when you're trying to be relatable or mm-hmm. or likable because at the end of the day every everyone wants to be liked no one wants to be yeah. hated out there and it's it's tough to explain to people who haven't done it like why am i so intense why am i so you know brash yeah. why am i you know the way i am and it, it's it's like well you know i'm not a crazy person out no, here but you, you have friends out there yeah. too which is the other part of it but like if you're looking at one of your matches in isolation it's like wow this is the most intense yeah i mean it's, seen. it's but then you look at the list of friends and it's like well obviously there's something likable here yes yes i mean you you see <laughs> the the crazy stan marinka <laughs> match against Baghdadis and Baghdadis breaking all his rackets yeah. he's one of the nicest guys <laughs> yeah. out there but if you only got that snippet of yeah. of him you're gonna think my gosh this yeah. guy is just a nut just the game drives you mental that's all there <laughs> is to say uh, before we wrap this up i did want to get before i forget your thoughts on we mentioned it before about the billy jean king cup you know kathy when all these tenure comes to an end i know she meant a lot to your career and all these american girls seem to have loved what she meant and i did have that video i, I watched where you guys surprised her a couple years ago for her birthday I think that was your handiwork but yes you know it was a heck of a tenure for one of the most likable women in tennis yes i i was lucky enough to play under a couple different captains i was a junior hitting partner with Zena garrison and then got my fed cup career going thanks to mary joe fernandez and she was she was great for that moment in my career of of being kind and and patient with me and kathy came in and i was always uh, i was already kind of established as a top 50 player so i felt more comfortable in my own skin obviously being older and and she she didn't have to play the the mom card so much as you know maybe mary joe did Mm -hmm. for me because when i played for mary joe the first time i was just 18 and and I got thrown to the wolves. I played Italy in the finals and got whooped by Panetta <laughs> and Schiavone in, a, in my in San Diego. And I was like, oh, this is the worst <laughs> time ever. And But she kept giving me another chance, another chance. And finally, I stepped up for Mary Jo. And we, we re-qualified beating Australia in Brisbane. And um, it was it was really fun. We we forced a tequila shot on her but <laughs> forced it. Uh, we well we forced it on Christina McHale and Christina did half because that was our first shot ever and then Mary Jo cleaned okay. it up for uh, her. That's fair. <laughs> but I mean playing for Kathy was was so fun and and she was you know so so patient and and great with me because I was very much in a different mind frame I was very selfish at that point in time in my career because I wanted to everyone to be at the same caliber, same expectation that mm-hmm. I had playing for my country. And that's yeah. 
very hard as a singular sport athlete mm-hmm. to be like, okay, everyone has to have the same determination that I do. And if you don't, I'm going to be harsh and, and not as friendly as, as I could be right. as a teammate. And Kathy helped me with that. I mean, I was lucky enough growing up playing on a lot of teams, so I, I knew how to be a good teammate, but just kind of calming me down like, okay, you know, uh, someone's tanking this practice. Like it's not going to be the, the end of the world. And yeah. I, I, and also, you know, talking to me, Hey, can you, can you practice um, with Bethany? Because, you know, Bethany does a lot of different things in practice because she, she has to be ready for doubles uh-huh. at that, at that point in time. So that takes a lot more balls at net. You have to yeah. do some reflex volleys with her and, and work on different things. And I didn't mind it. Whereas, you know, if you, you had someone that liked a particular type of practice, yeah. maybe like Lauren Davis, who, who liked to just rally more balls and, and play. I was like, yeah, that, that's fine. I'll, I'll take it yeah. on the chin and, and practice with Bethany, which ended up being one of my favorite practice partners. Right. Um, but at the beginning, it's like, okay, learning these girls mannerisms and learning who yeah. likes what. And Kathy did a fantastic job. And, you know, definitely, definitely made me team leader and, and helped me work on that, um, with all sorts of different types of personalities. I was very fortunate to have some of my best friends with me to do it with Ali Riss, Bethany and, and Shelby for, for most of the ride. And, and definitely talking to Shelby, she took a couple losses and being like, you'll get one, you'll get one. Don't worry about it. Talking with Allie, she she was clutch a couple times. Came in sick in a Belarus, <laughs> so she did nothing, <laughs> but was a good cheerleader. Yeah. And I, um, but you know, it was it was yeah. so fun to to play with all these girls and and just winning with my best friends. There's yeah. there's nothing better. Yeah, uh, Shelby also mentioned in Belarus that that was not the plan. The doubles tie for everything was just totally improv. No, I had no idea yeah. who I was playing yeah. with. That's yeah. the craziest part. So I win my first singles and Sloan. Um, is playing the second singles to clinch it, and she ends up, you know, serving for it. I don't know. I don't remember if she had any match points or not. Sabalenka? Yes. 17 or 18-year-old Sabalenka? Yeah, Yeah. so I I beat Sabalenka the first day. Then I won my first match the next day, and I was like, okay, yes, Sloan's going to put me on vacation. (laughs) You know, the champagne's on ice. Let's go. And, And unfortunately, Sloan lost, and I was expecting to play with Sloan, because that's kind of what we had been practicing all week. Yes, we'd mixed matched, and I'd played yeah. with Allie. I've played a couple points with with um, Shelby, and it was I, – I really went into the locker room, and I was furious in the <laughs> locker room because I was like, dang it, I wanted to be in, yeah. on on vacation. Now i got to restring all these rackets and regrip them and, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, match. put put my socks and put my ankles back on. The ankle braces were a yeah. pain in the butt, and – you know, Shelby and I go out there, and I, I before we went out there, I was, I went up to her, and because she kind of left me alone, she knows me pretty yeah. well, and I was warming up, and I went up to her, and I said, Shelby, honestly, there's no one I'd rather be out there with. Like, we're gonna do this, and and we went out and won in straights, and it was a, it was a great celebration afterwards. We had Jenny Brady with us um, celebrating. We were the party car. Um, <laughs> we were gifted some cognac and and vodka from the Belarus team and it was definitely um, put down. All yeah. right. Well, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the name of the game. Well, you had a great tenure on the Billie Jean King cup. And I do, before I forget, it was one of the ties where you played doubles with BMS. And I know for a fact, it was the only time uh, the phrase thunder down under was mentioned on our broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> so congrats to that as well. Oh, I, I don't know <laughs> if it's congrats to, to for me going and, and being forced in, into the thunder uh, from down under, but it was, that was a fun trip yeah. for my birthday. But yeah. uh, I mean, Bethany was such a leader for yeah. me on the doubles court for, for so many ties and so many events. And, and she was my doubles partner for, for the Olympics and, and she was definitely a great stepping stone to be able to show me how to lead someone on the doubles court because yeah. for so many years I played with so many great doubles players already. I mean, I had played with Annalena Gronfeld. Right. I played with Martina Hingis, who are established players and established doubles players at that point in time in their careers. So I was a singles player learning how to play mm-hmm. doubles and Bethany, as well as along with those two girls helped me, you know, teach me where to stand, where to move, how to go, um, that's, that sort of thing, you know, it, it definitely helps to skip a couple steps to have someone yeah. right there teaching you and telling you. And I mean, there's no one better that can match my energy than, than <laughs> Bethany, like our high fives. I mean, I, we're shocked that we didn't break any hands out there. <laughs> yeah. 
It was pretty aggressive, but it worked. Uh, wrapping up here with Coco Vandeway on Tennis Channel Inside In. Well, have to ask you thoughts as now an established broadcaster on, you know, women's tennis going into 2024, down under so many tournaments. And it seems like the depth of the game at the top is as strong as ever. The four box at Tennis Channel is killing me. There's too many matches <laughs> yeah. going on. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I keep t- I keep telling um, uh, the producers, Panda, I'm like, Panda, if you, if you do another four box, man, I'm going to die. I'm going <laughs> to die. I, I can't keep yeah. track of that. Two box, I can keep track. Four is just too many. I leave the four box to Chanda to be able to, to decipher. But I think the, the state of women's tennis is going to be really exciting this year. I mean, we, we all know that Iga is, is going to be solid. We've seen that in her first couple matches oh, yeah. that she is just absolutely relentless. And, and that's, that's a key key thing to being a champion i mean we saw that for so many years with serena of just the matches that she would put forth was just beat down after beat down not like you know three sets here you know a a seven six set there and hopefully you know we're going to see a a couple more matches from sabalenka to see how she's doing if she can take that kind of relaxed attitude of forgiving herself like she was in the last year got the monkey off her back with the grand slam and then of course there's there's coco goff and and jess pagula that are have been knocking on the door of of kind of dethroning those two big Uh guns at the top of the game and and hopefully you know we'll see a lot of back and forth battles i think that's my favorite type of tennis is not just you know the consistent winner each and every week but the you know the multitude of people that can win at tournaments and and how many people you know the the semifinal battles that we're going to see or quarterfinal battles is i think that's the most exciting points of women's tennis the stylistic matchups are great there's a lot of variety it's like it's like a buffet there's a lot of different styles for different people you know quickly on coco she definitely looks like she put the work in in her short and off season i was watching her play it's like okay this is someone serious about it pagula is right there i mean her season last year as consistent as anyone can she make that next step and break through at majors I would also add to your list, because Iga clearly being the top dog, I would look out for Rabakina now. Last year was disappointing by her now new standards, but she's another one that has the power that can compete and beat anyone, including Iga. Yeah, I mean, she she's always going to be up there, but I don't think she's as consistent as these other girls. Yeah. She's dealt with a lot more injuries, a lot more illnesses, and, and yeah. it doesn't seem like her body can handle the same stress as these other girls have been yeah. able to, and that that can honestly be fixed with just managing your schedule better. Right. I mean, taking the at-home breaks instead of, you know, pushing through and playing two back-to-back clay court season matches yeah. or two back-to-back hard court, any, any part of the season. Uh, and it's just living and learning a little bit with that. Yeah. And obviously, um, after not getting any points at Wimbledon and mm-hmm. finally establishing a, a decent top 10 ranking, and that definitely is you're able to, to manage, yeah. you know, your schedule a lot better being a top 10 player. And I think that call is going to be pretty good. I mean, she's going to be hard to beat that ball striking, the serve. It, it's it's really going to be tough. But I'm going to be interested to see if Coco's ability is going to withstand the time of the season. I know she's still young, and I think that's still, you know, a question mark. Mm-hmm. As much as she's already gotten her slam and, and has been, you know, a, a top 10 player for the last two years, it's still tough when you have those long seasons and making the year in championships and being unsuccessful as as far as her terms of of being a champion at the year in championships not being able to make the finals not really playing that well I understand because I was there the conditions really hard to play well but seeing how the changes that Brad has implemented in her game with the forehand most importantly the serve for me because she just doesn't really have that consistent winning point off of her serve she has to really grind it out a lot in that Mm -hmm. i know she's young and thank god for for youth (laughs) but you don't want to be doing that for for the long season Uh that we have you want to be able to finish points a a lot quicker and and not rely on the her athleticism as much as she does is there anybody else outside maybe outside the radar you think could be crashing the party maybe i mean we saw naomi's back we've seen a lot of returning you know players the tour or maybe a young player you think is one to watch this year? Well, I think the couple matches we've seen from Naomi is, is going to be tough. She's going to be a tough customer to deal with. And she says she wants to play more tennis and more tournaments than she's ever she's yeah. played before. And if her level stays where it is and, and her ball striking yeah. is, is as big as, as it is, is she's going to be a tough customer to play with. So I think she's definitely one to watch out there. But I think 
these four that we have mentioned with yeah. Iga, Rabakina, Sabalenka, and and Coco, I think they're going to yeah. be holding the guard for for most of these Grand Slams. I can't wait to see how they match up in big matches, semifinals and finals. Of course, should be fun. Uh, Coco Vandeweghe, it's always been a pleasure. Two quick hitters for you before you go. One being, are you skiing again? I got all the equipment. I got all the equipment. So that was my big Christmas. I got, you know, the ski um, outfit uh, because I hate being cold. I got a helmet. I got some goggles. I got gloves. Okay. So I'm, I'm ready to rumble. I'm, I'm not ready to buy any boots or, or skis yet. I want to see where I fall in, in, you know, the the advanced or, or ski length. I mean, I'm, I'm down for any suggestions. Okay. That's for sure. But skiing is going to happen when I get back from okay. Australia. Kayla Schiffer, watch out. There's a skier in <laughs> Town. Watch out. <laughs> and the very last thing, I have to do a callback to the last time. Any sage advice you remember from your youth from Bill Walton? Ooh. He, I mean, <laughs> Bill Walton would just steal, uh, just steal all the quotes. I mean, perfect practice makes perfect play. I mean, he was just a, a running running encyclopedia. I mean, I, I just love his book recommendations. He, he gives yeah. some really great book recommendations. Um, you know, it, it, what everyone says about Bill Walton is true. Yeah. Um, I've stayed in the deadhead room at his house. <laughs> it's wild. The drums that you saw in the, yeah. in that documentary, yeah. been there, played on a lot of the drums. It's it's he's an awesome guy, and um, he was always so great to my grandfather. My grandfather and him were were great pals, and my grandfather helped Bill a lot. And he would stop by at least once a month just to see my grandfather and check in on him. So Bill's a fantastic guy. I mean, just unbelievable. Well, it's good to see. and It's good to hear. You know, you've had one of the more unique upbringings and professional lives as well. Uh, Coco Vandeway, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Congrats on the outstanding career. And then also just seamlessly transitioning into your post career. Still a lot left. Maybe stick around at TC for a while. But of course, thanks for joining the show. Oh, thank you. That's it for another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you to Coco Vandeway. Thank you to Mark Knowles. And as always, thank you to everybody out there for listening to the podcast. And a reminder, as always, you can find Tennis Channel Inside In as a part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Go to tennis.com slash podcast to find the entire catalog of outstanding shows. And if you want to find this podcast, it is available on all your favorite podcast platforms. Whether you listen to podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeart, Google, to name a few. You can just search Tennis Channel Inside In and the podcast will pop right up. Please leave a rating, subscribe, leave a review. That helps grow the show. We're also available in video form on YouTube as well for a select portion of our interviews. Thank you again to everybody out there for listening to the show. We have a couple days until the start of the Australian Open. Saturday night in the state, Sunday in Melbourne, an extra day of tennis, an extra day of delight for us tennis fans. We're going to have two episodes each week, bonus shows on Monday each week of the Australian Open. Double the pleasure, double the fun. So don't miss out on extra content on Tennis Channel Inside. And thank you to Coco Vandeweghe and thank you to Mark Knowles for appearing as guests. My name is Mitch Michaels. Thank you for listening and I'll talk to you next week.